Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. And if you've missed it, I got into the Rockets. Ugh, it's pathetic. Recent play with an original Red Rowdy. She's a diehard fan as well. Red Rowdy Maya, Maya as she goes by. Uh, we're not doing a ton of Rockets in this show, but plenty to get into in today's show with the Texans and the Astros. But like I said, if you want some more Rockets conversation, go listen to Maya from a couple of days ago. Joining me is co-host Stephen Kerr. And Stephen, we voiced our desire for a new defensive coordinator pretty emphatically after the season was over. We said it was time for Romeo to go. And incredibly enough, Bill Bryan, he was listening to us. He's on the same page. He was listening to us. Well, before we get into that, I just want to say, yeah, love Maya and the Red Rowdies. They Even when the Rockets aren't very lively, they certainly keep things lively. So, yeah, that was a great show. I enjoyed listening to that. As far as Romeo Cornell, yeah, I, the only thing that surprised me about the move, Robert, is that it took over a week. You know, I, I mean, I kind of expected that after such a crazy loss, you know, how the Texans blew that lead, I thought maybe they would do what that other Houston team did that is now the Tennessee Titans. I know you don't like me to say the name because it just brings back so many bad memories, but most people know who I'm talking about. They fired their defensive coordinator, I'm pretty sure, the day after that terrible loss to Buffalo in 93. So uh, that that really was the only thing that surprised me. And, of course, Romeo is still there. He's kind of back in that, quote-unquote, advisory role, whatever that means. But uh, Anthony Weaver, you know, is a guy that doesn't have any experience as far as being a coordinator, still a young guy, 39 years old. But a lot of people are high on him, including Rex Ryan, and uh, several other people, you know, from from the Texans that uh, I know you're going to talk about, Robert. But yeah, an interesting choice, I would say, uh, if you're looking for somebody young that may be a little aggressive, hopefully, but uh, doesn't have a ton of experience. I guess that that's really kind of the, I guess the biggest concern that I have as far as the choice of defensive coordinator. Right. And we're going to get into that in a little bit. But just for those who forgot, Weaver played defensive end with the Ravens from 2002 to 2005, then signed with the Texans, playing under Kubiak until 2008. After his NFL career was over with, he moved his way up through the coaching ranks uh, as a, you know, obviously as NFL playing career was over with, moved up through the coaching ranks, University of Florida, North Texas, New York Jets, then the Bills, the Browns, and finally to the Texans in 2016, where he's been a defensive line coach. Sports Radio 610's Seth Payne, who played with Weaver, said that as a player, Weaver really had a grasp of defensive philosophy. Uh, he said, I used to love hearing him talk about the way Rex Ryan ran the Ravens defense. There is zero BS with this guy. Players respect that. That That's the words of Seth Payne. Steven, you mentioned it right off the top. He's considered to be a more aggressive guy, which, you know, I mean, this is what we're talking about. That's what I think needed to happen. They needed to get more aggressive. That's That's been my issue with Romeo. Well, he, he was as a player. We know that, of course, you know, if you, if you saw him play with the Texans, he did have an aggressive style of play, and he's not afraid, or he wasn't afraid to mix it up as a player. I think there was one incident, and I can't remember who the offensive lineman was, but uh, it was against uh, the Jets when Rex Ryan was coaching. And, and Anthony got into it. There was, it was a bit of a, a scrum. And uh, Anthony, you know, they were kind of messing around with Anthony Weaver. And he wasn't taking it. So, you know, as far as an aggressive personality, he certainly has that. And if there's one thing the Texans certainly need is a bit more of aggressiveness in the coaching scheme of the defense, which is something that we didn't see a lot with Romeo Cornell. So 
hopefully from that standpoint, that's what we'll get with the Texans and defensive coordinator. Last time there was somebody that stepped in for Romeo with the Texans, it was Mike Vrabel. He becomes the head coach. Anthony Weaver's high school coach was quoted as saying he definitely wants to be a head coach one day. There's good and bad with that, I guess, Stephen, because this is a guy that's motivated. You know, he wants bigger and better things. And you want somebody that's got that kind of intellect. And, and maybe maybe he, he could talk to Bill a little bit about clock management. Come on, somebody do it. <laughs> it's a somebody. Yeah, whether it's on the offensive or defensive side, somebody. No, I, I mean, yeah, there's a catch-22 there. Obviously, if he is thought that highly of, it's not like he's going to be around for the next you know, 10, 15 years as defensive coordinator. Of course, I don't know who, who who is really in this league with that kind of longevity. You want somebody who's ambitious, obviously. It means they want to go places. So in that respect, if you're that highly thought of, that is certainly a positive as far as the Texans are concerned. It wasn't the only move by Bill O'Brien. He also dismissed outside linebacker coach John Pagano. And maybe the biggest surprise move, Stephen Chris Olson senior VP of football operations and the Texans primary contract negotiator for 13 years. He's out the door. And this is the deal, Stephen. Many, you know, Texans followers, they were critical of the merciless contract, the Nick Martin deal. Nobody understood why they didn't sign Laramie Tunsil to a contract extension before that trade officially occurred instead of his agent having total control after the Texans gave up the first uh, round picks to get him. You also have the entire botch clowny contract situation, So I guess my question is, if they're going to make this move to get rid of Chris Olsen and they feel like maybe those were some mistakes that were made, including, you know, the whole clowny deal, why did this whole thing take this long to happen uh, after Bill O'Brien gets the GM job back a few months ago? That's kind of what I was thinking, because, yeah, if if it was the case of what you were just talking about, why wouldn't they have uh, fired Chris Olsen, you know, maybe around the time they fired Brian Game or maybe sometime thereafter? Of course, yeah, the Merciless deal came recently. So did the Nick Martin deal. So it was, you know, well after some of those other things that happened. But yeah, I guess the biggest thing that surprised me about the move is why now and not earlier? You know, since Bill O'Brien's already had his hands on things for the last several months, even before the season started. So yeah, that was a little bit of a surprise. I'd say, you know, John Pagano and, and some of the others, really not that big of a surprise. The, the Texans certainly needed an overhaul on defense, and and that's what they're getting with that. You think maybe somebody whispered into Bill O'Brien's ear, like, did you you hear what he signed Whitney Merciless for? And did you look at, like, the rest of the outside linebackers at Whitney Merciless quality around the NFL? And what what, what about this Nick Martin thing? I don't get this whole Nick – you know, that's the only thing I can figure out. It's like, why is Chris Olsen all of a sudden gone after after – I mean, why didn't that happen if there were issues months and months and months ago? So does that mean that Bill O'Brien's going to take over negotiating contracts too? I mean, he he doesn't have enough on his plate. Maybe he needs more stuff to do. I I don't know. Well, I mean, he's he'll he'll be the owner, like I said. You just wait. Probably in about six more yeah. months, they're going to announce him. Watch out, Cal McNair. He's coming after your job too. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> a couple of more Texans notes. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins played the second half of the Chiefs game with a broken rib. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, he, he's 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 gutsy. You know, what's crazy about that, Robert, is that's the second year in a row in the playoffs that this has taken place. You know, last year in the Colts game, remember, we didn't really find out that I think until later in the game or maybe thereafter that uh, he had an injury and he played hurt. And now he does it again this year and we don't find out until after the game. So, yeah, it's funny that 
all through the season, DeAndre Hopkins appears to be healthy, and then all of a sudden the postseason, he has an injury, but you'd never know it. I mean, they would have to bind him in chains and physically drag him off the field as tough a guy as he is and playing hurt the way he has. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. He's un- unreal. Just, I mean, you, you, there's no complaints with the DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, no complaints either with the guy named J.J. Watt. And the news this week is he's going to be on Saturday Night Live a week from this Saturday. I got a trivia question for you, Stephen. Can you think of two athletes with Houston ties, Houston connections, who've hosted Saturday Night Live? I was looking through the list of Saturday Night Live hosts, and there are two guys with Houston connections, Houston sports connections. I'm going to give you a hint, or maybe it's not going to be helpful at all. We'll see. One of them hosted yeah. in uh, 1993, the other in 1994, and one of the two of them hadn't come through Houston yet. He was getting there, but he hadn't, mm. he hadn't come through Houston. Well, wasn't one of them, uh, it was one of the Rockets, was it not, when they won their first championship? Was it, was it one of the Rockets? Oh, you're so close. So close. Charles Barkley hmm. after they won Charles the championship. Bar- oh, that's right. It was after, yeah. But, of course, he wasn't. So, yeah, it was, it was Barkley in his son's days. And then the other athlete was George Foreman. Ah, George Foreman. That's right. Yeah, I'd, I'd totally forgotten about that. But, yeah, I, I did see that. It's uh, February 1st. Yeah, it's the weekend of the Super Bowl. J.J. Watt's going to be doing Saturday Night Live. Now, that should be entertaining. I mean, J.J., he's a pretty fun guy. So uh, I don't know that he's, like, full of one-liners. But, hey, he's got a great personality, and he's popular. So looking forward to seeing that. Does he do the Astros trash can sketch? Oh, no. I don't know. <laughs> would, would, does he? Does that, yeah, I, probably not. That, that'd be like taking a pot shot. But you never know. I mean, J.J., Maybe he could have a little fun with it. I mean, you might as well laugh about it because of the way it's been the last few weeks. You might as well just not take it that seriously and just laugh it off at this point. Uh, let's see. Oh, we got some more more Texans notes because the, the Chiefs and the 49ers playing in the Super Bowl. Uh, hopefully uh, everybody caught that ga- those games on Sunday. But former Texan QB Sage Rosenfels observed this little tidbit, which I thought was kind of interesting. All of these 49er coaches – were with the Texans from 2006 to 2008. Of course, everybody knows head coach Kyle Shanahan, uh, his days with the Texans. That They also had the, the 49ers defensive coordinator, their offensive line coach John Benton, their special teams coordinator Richard Hightower, run game coordinator Mike McDaniel, linebackers coaches uh, Johnny Holland and D'Amico Ryans, former Texan player at, at, at that time, and even the head equipment manager, Jay Brunetti was with the Texans, Stephen. It was all of those guys. They're all in the Super Bowl now. Well, and that's not even counting the Chiefs that are former Texans who are now in the Super Bowl. I think I saw something today that between those two teams, there are like 13 former Texans that are in the Super Bowl. What the heck just happened? Who are they? I, I can't remember anybody, but I, I was looking through the Chiefs' names, and the only one that like jumped off the page, obviously – Brian Gain with a genius draft pick. Martinez Rankin is going to be a... Yeah, Martinez Rankin. And, and I don't remember who the others were, but that, I think combined, it, it was like two, like almost a dozen Texans that are former Texans that are in the Super Bowl or have been. I, I don't know. It, but I saw something today and it was double digits. So, yeah, that's crazy. But all those 49ers all on one team. And, and don't forget, you know, you and I were talking the other day on a podcast about Vic Fangio, you know, the former defensive coordinator that... He got to the Super Bowl. So, yeah, the the road to the Super Bowl apparently goes through Houston, but then it's after you leave that you get there. We, the, something needs to change in that trend, don't you think? Yeah, Kubiak is 
kind of a common denominator amongst a lot of these guys. Got to give Kubi. He put together a hell of a staff. Yeah, he certainly did. Uh, unfortunately, it just didn't translate to any Super Bowls uh, as far as the Texans go. And hopefully that will change in the near future. Although, as I've said, more than once on this podcast, I don't see it happening as far as Bill O'Brien being the coach, though. Yeah, I'm not holding my breath uh, before we talk little Astros. want to remind our listeners, the loyal, all you loyal listeners, to help us out by sharing the link to our show on your social media, uh, whatever that would be. Retweet the latest show, share it on your social media of choice, Facebook or Instagram or whatever you got. We, we'd appreciate it. And Stephen, we, we've heard about a few Astros managerial candidates in the last week. Let me know if there's anybody I'm missing. I, I've noted these guys, three-time manager of the year, Dusty Baker, three-time manager of the year, Buck Showalter, two-time Blue Jays manager, John Gibbons, who was recently, not long ago, in the American League Championship Series. You also have former bench coach for Bo Porter, Eduardo Perez, first and third base coach for the Cubs, Will Venable, and Astros assistant, Joe Aspada. Yeah, I believe that's it. And I think uh, Jim Crane, I, I saw where he said that they're going to interview one or two more, and he's looking to make a decision by the first part of February, which, of course, makes sense because string, uh, spring training is going to be happening later that month with pitchers and catchers reporting. It's just a few weeks away. So I think Jim Crane is is really looking to make a decision here in the very near future as far as who the new Astros manager is. It's interesting because there's not been a ton of talk about hiring a GM and hiring a manager before a GM. Isn't that a Texans move? Yeah, I guess it is a Texans move, isn't it? But I, I think in this case with the Astros, it, it really is necessary. You, you've got to have the manager lined up. You don't want the team going into spring training with an interim manager for a few weeks, and then you name one right before the season. So I think the process for the GM, that's probably something that can and, and will take a little more time. But the managerial thing, you've, you've got to wrap that up pretty quickly. And as Jim Crane said, I think I saw a core, he said, I'm in the overnight business. We're going to do this soon. So that's where the Astros managerial uh, situation is. Is there a guy on that list that you like a lot? You like the most? Is there somebody that you want to stay away from? I mean, anybody on well, that list do anything for you? I don't know that anybody really jumps out at me. You know, it, I, I mean, as far as Joe Espada is concerned, if if you want continuity, Espada would probably be the right choice because the players are just used to him, but he doesn't have experience as far as managers. And, and, and I think something else that Crane said is they want somebody that does have a little bit of experience that can be a steadying hand. Now, Dusty Baker, heck, he's got a lot of experience. You know, may, maybe what the Astros need is a calming influence, but he is 70 years old. So if you're talking about, you know, whether he can still relate to the players and relate to the analytics, I mean, I think if the Astros are still going to be committed to the analytics game, which I'm sure they are, you probably want somebody that's maybe younger or at least that's more in tune with that. So I'm not sure that somebody like a Dusty Baker would be ideal in that situation. Eduardo Perez, he was a finalist for the Mets managerial job. He's kind of an intriguing figure. Uh, John Gibbons, yeah, he doesn't do a whole lot for me. He did a pretty good job with the Blue Jays, but I, I don't know that there's anybody that jumps out at me that says, oh gosh, we got to grab that guy right now. I'm not a Dusty Baker guy. There's a lot of, you know, kind of poor talk about his ability to handle pitching staffs at times. And, and right, there, there, right. There, it's been a situation where He's had some really talented teams that he maybe didn't do enough with. 
I do want to talk about Eduardo Perez because I feel like Eduardo is somebody that comes in as a younger guy, which I, I like the fact that AJ Hinch really connected with the players and not, not to say that you can't as a, a 65 or 70 year old or, or something like that. But Eduardo Perez, you know, I've been around Eduardo. I, I actually covered him when I was in Memphis, he was playing for the Memphis Redbirds at the time, the triple a affiliate for the Cardinals as a player. So Eduardo Perez, very well-spoken. I think he could handle all the noise that's going to happen this year with the Astros. It might be a little bit much for some of these other guys. Show Walter can definitely do that as well. I mean, they're, they're right, veteran right. media guys too. So I think that that'll have a lot to do with it. Um, so, and, and, and it's weird. John Gibbons, can you remember many times in, in, in major league baseball history where there's been somebody that's managed a team? He managed the blue Jays two different times, twice. Well, that's right. I'd forgotten about that. You're right. And uh, yeah, I would say one of the things you just pointed out that's that's uh, very important is you want somebody that's going to be able to manage what is going to be throughout this whole season, question after question, or if not questions, certainly a perceptual situation regarding the Astros and the cheating situation. You want somebody, you, you don't want somebody like Bill O'Brien, for instance, or you know that type of personality that's going to blow a fuse every time somebody's going to ask the question or if a fan gets in their face. So you want a steadying hand. Yeah, I would say, you know, Eduardo Perez, probably he would be my choice if I just, you know, had to pick one. I would say him or Buck Walter, perhaps, because he has been through it. You know, he's a veteran, but he's not so out of touch, I think, that that he couldn't handle that kind of pressure that's going to be on the Astros. And there is going to be pressure on him just from the key, uh, cheating scandal by itself. You know, and the, the questions are going to be, can the Astros still go out and play well and win with this hanging over their head and with the players being bombarded with questions, especially early on. Also, I saw that CBS Sports had a list of potential GM candidates for the Astros. Matt Arnold, the Brewers assistant GM, of course, the Brewers GM. If I remember right, Stephen, he was under Jeff Luno a few years ago, correct? No, that's right. That's correct. Uh, you got Josh Burns, Dodgers VP of Baseball Operations. We know what the Dodgers have done over the last few years. Jared Porter, uh, or, uh, and I can't even say this guy's name. It's uh, Amiel Sade. Uh, they're both Diamondbacks assistant GMs. Okay, yeah. Is that did I get close to that? Is that something? I, like I think so. That yeah, that name sounds vaguely familiar. And, and I'll be honest. I mean, I haven't studied up on a lot of these guys of what you know, what, what their credentials are, how, you know, they're into the analytics. I mean, I think a lot of these guys are, but yeah, that's going to be a choice. that's going to be interesting to look at as it goes on and, and, and how long it might take before you have another general manager in there. The one in-house candidate is the Astros assistant GM director of player development, Pete Putilla. This guy is 30, Stephen. He's 30. Yeah, he's pretty young. And especially, you, you know, just like the manager situation, you're going to have a guy that's taking over a position that has a lot of question marks, you know, that was vacated with scandal. And, and that's, you, you want somebody that's going to be able to handle that. Of course, Pete Putillo was an Ed Wade hire. He started as an intern, worked his way up through the Astros organization. He's been in the minor league, kind of a minor league uh, role for the past few years. So it's not like he's been in the dugout when all of this was going on or, you know, even really much in the front office. So uh, yeah, there's a guy that he, he might be considered, but he is pretty young to be taking over not just the GM position, 
but a position that, as I said, has been vacated the way it was. And there's going to be a lot of questions, going to be a lot of pressure on that position as well. And while that's going on, you got Astros Fan Fest that was this weekend. Alex Bregman and Jose Altuve decided to go full congressional committee, Mark McGuire. Uh, I'm not here to talk about the past, Stephen. I'm here to talk about the future. Wait, unless unless it's the uh, World Series last year or maybe when I hit that game-winning home run in, in, in Game 6 of the ALC. <laughs> I, I, what? What are you talking about, guys? Come on. Well, I, honestly, though, I, they – they probably are doing the right thing because you want the players to be on the same page. I, I did see where the Astros may be issuing an apology of some sort, but that it probably won't happen until spring training when they have all the players there and they can sit down and talk about the whole thing as a group and then come out with a general statement. I, I don't know that that may be the way to go because you don't want one player going off and saying one thing, maybe to the positive and then maybe another going off and saying, yeah, we, we probably shouldn't have done that. We're sorry. Yeah, we did kind of do this, this, and this. I, th I think, you know, the team already has a black mark, and they, they've already got an egg on their face by some of the other statements they've made in other issues, like the Brandon Taupman situation. So maybe even though it's delayed, and I'm not a big fan of delayed apologies, Robert, but perhaps in this case, a collective apology really is better than just having a bunch of players coming out and trying to say a whole bunch of different things. And then somebody says something that they shouldn't. And then you're going to have another thing to have to clean up. So maybe that's the best way to go about it. Don't you think it was a little weird to send them out at FanFest? You know that's the question. And then they've got to make, they got to look stupid if they're, if they're not going to apologize or they're not going to say It just looks dumb. Well, maybe. But then think about it this way. What if they had canceled FanFest? Everybody would know why. I, I mean, I, I guess really either way you're talking, there, there's going to be a question mark. But Maybe they felt the best thing is just, you know, have fan fest. It is for the fans uh, as much as anybody else. So, you know, maybe canceling it would have made them look a lot worse than just having it and just tell them, you know, keep it mum, keep it mum. Yeah, there, there's other stuff that they do at fan fest, which, which I'm going to get to, which, you know, I, I know it would, maybe you wouldn't have the players there, but you could have X players. And, and, and we're going to talk about some, some X players with the Astros in a little bit. Uh, also in the last 24 hours, Derek Jeter and Larry Walker elected to Cooperstown. Uh, Jeter, no surprise. Larry Walker, maybe a surprise. And as far as the Astros on the ballot, Roger Clemens got 61% of the vote this year. Billy Wagner, 31.7%. Jeff Kent, 27.5%. Andy Pettit, 11.3%. And oh yeah, Kurt Schilling, he was an Astro for a couple of minutes. He got really close this time with 70%. Any surprises, <laughs> thoughts on everything with Cooperstown and the election? With uh, Larry Walker, for one thing, that was his uh, final year of eligibility. I think it's his 10th try, and he finally got in. I mean, there, there's really, I, I guess, some question as to whether he belongs there, but, you know, that's uh, obviously a discussion for some other time. I, I really would like to see Billy Wagner get in. I, I don't know if it's going to happen, but I, I think if there's one guy that deserves to be in, it certainly should be Billy Wagner. But, of course, you know, when you're close to the Astros, most of us are going to feel that way. You know, the national perception of Billy Wagner probably a little bit different. 61% of Clements, I mean, it, it, it's surprising, but then again, maybe not because, you know, with a lot of the older writers kind of going out and some of the newer guys coming in, that perception may change as the years go by. And then, I mean, there could be a point that he may get in eventually, but 61%, I mean, it seems like he's moving up every year, it, it looks like. Yeah, I, I, I'm not a big fan of the guys that 
did the steroids and uh, yeah, I get it. There's no, you know, there's no evidence other than the fact that he was put in Stephen. He was, he was put in front of Congress. I, I think they had some idea that something was going on. Well, the biggest thing with, with Clements for me is just his attitude and the same with Barry Bonds. That's why I don't, I don't really want Barry Bonds in the hall of fame just because of, I feel what he did was tainted and the same with Roger Clemens. I mean, just the whole attitude that he took to it. No, they couldn't prove it. But it's one of those things where do you really need a courtroom or a hearing to determine whether somebody did it? I mean, it, it's like the O.J. Simpson murder. Yeah, he, he wasn't convicted, but I, I think the majority of people believe he did it. So it's kind of that same way with Roger Clemens for me. Larry Walker was always killed for not doing what he did somewhere besides Colorado. What do you do? I mean, if you're, if you're playing for Colorado, how how high does your OPS have to be before it's considered a Hall of Fame OPS? I don't know what you're supposed to do. Those were his prime years. Well, those were his prime years, and that's where he played. I mean, that's like saying, uh, you know, a pitcher who pitches in a pitcher's ballpark. Well, he pitches in a pitcher's ballpark. I mean, if you really want to get analytical about it, you compare his stats on the road to non-pitcher's ballparks. But, yeah, I think that's a little bit much. I, I mean, players, especially – you know, think of the players from decades ago before free agency was even around. You played where you played. You know, it, it wasn't like you had your mar choices of what marquee teams you wanted to go to. So you could say the same thing about a lot of those older players, you know, that were in 30, 40, you know, or 50, 60, 70 years ago. So, yeah, I don't put too much stock in that. You know, Larry Walker was a great offensive player. Uh, so, but yeah, he played in Colorado. Well, so what? It's It's where he was. And he still was an impressive. He's still a very good ball player. He had a hose for an arm too, not just a good hitter. Yeah, certainly did. So yeah, I, I just don't put much stock in things like that. Well, speaking of Hall of Fame, the the Astros Fan Fest. We're going to go back there because they announced the Houston Astros Hall of Famers, and this year they're going to induct Lance Berkman, Cesar Cedeno, Judge Roy Hoffines, Roy Oswalt, Billy Wagner, the aforementioned Billy Wagner, and Bob Watson. It's strange that they put in six members this year after putting in 16 last year, Stephen. If they plan on doing this every year, they're going to be putting in Tim Bogart and Casey Candell in there by 2023. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's the thing. It's I, I don't know. I guess they were trying to catch up just because, well, you know, the Astros are well over 50 years old. So I guess they figured, well, we better get some of these other guys. I was a little surprised Judge Roy Hoffines wasn't in the original class because if it weren't for him, Probably wouldn't have an Astros franchise in Houston. But having said that, he is in now. But, well, it, it could be that you had 16 the first year and we had, what, six this year? So maybe, you know, it, it'll kind of dwindle down to, say, three, two or three per year after that. So maybe that's what they're trying to do. But I have a feeling a lot of it's just catching up with all the great players that have been part of the Astros for 50-plus years. I get that, but honestly, we're we're almost at the point here after two years where who who's left? Is there anybody you can think of off the top of your head? There might be somebody from, you know, the more recent, the Astros of 20 years ago, but they've already put in Berkman and Bagwell and Biggio and Oswalt. Uh, God, I, I, Tal Smith, That that's somebody I can think of. Ta Tal belongs yeah, in there. Yeah, Tal Smith. Tal belongs in there. I, I Now, I, you know what? They they put in so many guys the first year. My memory, I, I can't remember. Was Art Howe one of those original guys? Because he certainly belongs in there. He's a player and a manager. So as the years go by, of course, you know, you hope that, that more great players come through. I mean, there's going to be a point where Jose Altuve, George Springer, 
you know, those guys are going to be inducted several years from now. So, uh, yeah, but but in those first 40 years or so, you know, there were some great players. I, I mean, I guess you could even say, even though they had such brief stops, uh, guys like Joe Morgan, you know, and, and players like that that were traded so early on in their Astros careers. So, but I, I think as, as time goes on, they'll probably just dwindle it to two or three. And hopefully the Astros will just keep, you know, producing the, a feeder line of great players as we keep going on, especially if they can continue to win. I have some faint memories of Cedeno and Bob Watson, but those are guys you grew up with. Do you, you got memories from the Cedeno and Watson era? Cedeno was a very highly touted player. The, the biggest problem with Cedeno is that he, I, I think a lot of people felt that, well, Leo DeRocher, who was managing the Astros, that was the last team he managed, you know, back in the early mid-70s when Cedeno was playing. DeRocher called him lazy at one point. He was a great player. He certainly had, you know, he put up great numbers with the Astros, but there were some who felt that he could have been a better player if he had applied himself more, that he really didn't live up to his talent. And then there was the off-the-field problem in the mid-'70s where he accidentally, he, he had a girl in his hotel room. It was during the off-season, and I, I think it was like in the Dominican Republic or somewhere that, or maybe it was in Mexico, actually. He had a girl up in his room, and there was a gun and accidentally shot the girl to death. You know, that, that hasn't been talked about much. So he had some off-field problems, too, that they kind of dogged him. But when you look at the numbers, you know, Cedeno certainly belongs there. Bob Watson, Bob Watson, a very steady player. He was there for a number of years. Of course, you know, he, he was uh, with the Yankees uh, in the general manager position for a number of years. And so I think those two guys definitely, you know, should be a part of the Astros Hall of Fame. Right. And you got most of the Cedeno story correct. Uh, it turned out authorities said that Cedeno and this 19-year-old woman were drinking and playing with a gun when the gun fired and right. she died. And he was initially charged with voluntary manslaughter. Then it got reduced to involuntary manslaughter. He was held for 20 days before being released on bail and found guilty of involuntary manslaughter fined just a hundred dollars, I guess. I yeah, it was. Yeah, it was during the off season. I remember because it it was not during the season. Yeah, he did spend. I I thought it was like a month or, or a couple of weeks in jail. I do remember that. Uh, of course, I was pretty small when that was going on, but I I remember keeping up with that situation because it was a big story back then. I want to say it was in 1973, 74, somewhere in there. Well, speaking of honors, uh, yesterday was the Houston Sports Awards, and after the last couple of weeks. You could have hoped that it sounded like a great idea for us to put a light on what's great about Houston sports. On the other hand, there was a lot of bad timing and poor look to some of what happened. First off, Stephen, they named Bregman as Athlete of the Year, which not only is a bad look with everything going on with the Astros, but Stephen, shouldn't Cy Young winner Justin Verlander or even Simone Biles have won that award? Yeah, I was a little intrigued by that. Um, I, and I'm sure that that, of course, was done before we knew what the Astros situation was going to be. So I don't know how you could put a lot of stock in that. Yeah, I, I would have said Verlander, if he was one of the five choices, I probably would have given it to him. No, You know, don't misunderstand. Bregman had a great season, but the, the things that Verlander accomplished, and then when you consider his age as being a part of that, that that's who I would have given it to. So yeah, I was a little surprised by that announcement. Jim Crane wins executive of the year. And as I could have predicted, that went over like a big pile of poop in your cereal. Now that is an intriguing What What if they had given it to Luno? I mean, think about that. And, and with him not being with the Astros, that, that probably, you know, 
talk about poop stinking, uh, that probably would have been there too. So yeah, Jim Crane, that's, that is an interesting choice. So uh, even some interesting inductees that kind of went, you know, as far as the athletes who were inducted, I know we'll get into that, but kind of went with a little bit of a theme this year with the exception of Rudy T. Yeah, let's stay with this executive of the year thing because, you know, it's one of those deals where, yeah, it might have been put together a couple of weeks ago or a month ago or whatever. We knew this whole thing was was going to turn out bad for the Astros at some point. So it seems like in the last month or so or month and a half or whenever, somebody in charge should have just said, look, Jim, it's not going to look good if we do this this year. We might do it another year, but we're going to hold off and, you know, it, it's going to look a little bit better for you. I, I don't think he would have had a problem with that. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. It, it, it sounds it, it makes sense. But I, I just I, I think, you know, the Houston Sports Awards, it, it's kind of a goodwill thing, I guess, as part of what their objective is. So I don't know. Maybe they just felt something like that would have been too awkward. It wouldn't have gone over well. But but that's a good point. And let's be real here. Is an executive of the year award really necessary for basically an SBs for just the city of Houston? I mean, you basically have three main pro sports, which means three owners and three GMs. If you're lucky, maybe the Dynamo or Dash might matter someday. But really, it's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you're talking what? The, the three major sports probably are, are the only ones that are ever going to be considered unless, like you said, the Dash did something you know, really crazy. Like let's say they went undefeated for the whole soccer season, won the championship, then maybe you could... But yeah, yeah, you're talking Astros, Texans, Rockets. It's going to be one of those three probably every year, I would imagine. You basically have six guys that are eligible, I would think. You know, like I said, unless the Dynamo and Dash. And, and if you look at it, I mean, owners just aren't fan favorites typically. <laughs> I, I just don't see, I didn't see a reason why you needed to have that award. Maybe every now and then you you make it into like a lifetime achievement. We want to honor this like what they did that they did that with Bob McNair last night, which, uh, you know, despite most Texans fans frustration with him, I, I was fine with that since he passed away a little over a year ago. But if you're honoring yeah. McNair, you know, just eliminate the executive of the year, you know, this time around. And Stephen, at one point during the awards, you had Jerry Jones, Cal McNair and Jim Crane at the microphone back to back to back. <laughs> oh, yeah. How about that? Yeah. The thing about owners, you know, there's such polarizing figures. Either the owner is too hands-on, like a Jerry Jones, or you know, or Daniel Snyder, or somebody like that, or you never hear from them. Like, uh, you know, uh, Les Alexander would be a prime example. You you didn't hear from Les very much. He stayed in the background, and you know, and so they're like, well, you know, what does this guy deserve an award for? You you would think it'd be more for a GM. The problem with that is if you just had all GMs, they'd be the same guys winning it every year, unless they just change GMs every year. You know, if they stay the team five or ten years, you know, like a like Jeff Leno was was with the Astros for quite a while. Daryl Morey's been with the Rockets for quite a while. Then it's just gonna be the same guy winning every year. So yeah, I kind of I, I kind of agree with you now that we're talking about it. As far as executive of the year, it's kind of a kind of a tricky award to give out if you only have six guys that are gonna be up for it every single year. People like sports because of players. I mean, come on, right? <laughs> right, right. I don't know if it's just to fill time to make it a three hour, you know, however long event it was, or they just want to cover all the bases. I, I, I don't really know what, I, I don't know what the thinking was behind that. 
Yeah, a lot of it, you watch the award show and a lot of it felt like time filler. We had singing and dancing and all this stuff. Yeah, and I don't know how I felt about that, too. I, I just felt like some of that, I know, they, I guess they're trying it with the younger crowd, you know, with Paul Wall and some of the rappers that were in there. But I, I just felt like, uh, let's, yeah, let's keep it to what it should be. And, and Jim Crane, I think he also won because of the memorial a golf tournament that they're going to have at well at Memorial uh, Memorial Park, but like I said, w- they could have done that another year. I mean, besides the besides the issues that I've already talked about, the, the other thing is the audio and production quality was just a disaster. I mean, I, I hate saying that because I've you know I've got a good relationship with one of the people that is in charge of that whole event, but it, it wasn't exactly strong the first couple of years, but this might've been the worst. I just, it wasn't a good look to be honest with you with a lot of that. So you you got to get that stuff right. If you're going to televise it and you're going to get people excited about it, it can't look like kind of a reeky dink operation. That, that, that was a big issue for me too, Steve. I mean, it's just, it's unfortunate. Yeah, that that's true. Now I must admit, I haven't seen a lot of the, or, uh, you know, heard a lot of the audio from it. So, but I do know the first two years I, I watched the first two years on YouTube after the fact. And yeah, there were some cases where the audio just wasn't that great. So I'll be interested to, uh, if they put it on YouTube again, I, I don't know. I haven't checked uh, to see if it's there yet, but just to, just to hear what you're talking about. And of course, people like you and me in the broadcast business, we're going to notice things like that probably more so than other people would. Yeah. I think fans, I saw a little bit on the, uh, on Twitter uh, that fans noticed and I, I should get to the good stuff because they had their Houston Hall of Fame inductees there where you had Carl Lewis and Mary Lou Retton and Rudy T. Definitely a good deal to remember that Carl and Mary Lou were national heroes who came out of the Houston sports scene. Neither one of those, neither Carl or Mary Lou were originally from Houston, but they're basically considered Houstonians at this point. Mary Lou trained here. Carl was and still is a Houston Cougar. Boy, Stephen, I mean, 10 gold medals, three silvers, and two bronze medals between those two. Yeah, and I have no problem with that. They're part of Houston sports. They're, they're Houston legends. You don't, I don't think you always have to be from here. I mean, a lot of the players that get put in, they may not be from Houston, but they're certainly associated with Houston once they start playing or competing. And, and I kind of thought it was interesting that, you know, they, they went two of the three. They, they kind of angled toward the individual sports, and, and that's I, I, I really had no problem with that. Because sometimes we we tend to kind of put individual, if you if you call it that, individual sports, you know, versus team sports. Sometimes they get overlooked, and so I was glad to see uh, Carl Lewis and uh, Mary Lou Retton. You know, she was my crush back in the '80s, so you know I had a personal interest in in that situation being voted in. So yeah, I had no problem with all three of the honorees. Rudy T goes without saying; he he definitely should be one of the Houston Hall of Famers. Mary Lou actually got a little choked up, which was really nice. I think she's done these awards like she's been honored so many times, but uh, her daughters introduced her, her three daughters, and and that was unusual. And I think that got her a little bit when she got up there on stage. So that was a really sweet moment. And, And this felt like a week we needed Rudy T to show up and get in front of a microphone and inspire us, Stephen. This is the week. <laughs> yeah, for sure. We we could use his, you know, never underestimate the heart of a champion speech or something close to it <laughs> because, yeah, the last few weeks in Houston sports have been difficult. And that's why I think the, the Houston Sports Awards, I know it's this time every year, has been for the last three years, but, boy, it couldn't have come at a better time. We We needed a salve to, uh, you know, 
start healing and at least trying to heal the wounds that have happened in Houston sports the last few weeks. And as far as Rudy goes, let's close out the show with Rudy and a little bit of what he said. As we go through life, you know, we have some important relationships. And one of the most important in my life was with a guy by the name of Calvin Murphy. I roomed with that guy for nine years. What an assignment. And I watched that little sneaky son of a gun very closely. And what I saw was how hard he practiced, how he prepared himself for every game, and how he played through injury. And I want to say to you, Murph, thanks for inspiring me. You made me better. You know, I just love basketball. It's all I thought about. And I even carved I love basketball into uh, my bedpost. And when I went to bed at night, I had my hand on it. And I dreamed. I dreamed. And I'm one of the fortunate people who can say that my life turned out better than my dreams. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.